Malcolm Honline is in Israel, and that's always extra special for us. Uh, not only do we get the opportunity to uh, speak to him while he's in the Holy Land, but uh, no doubt he has had many high-level meetings that he can uh, brief us about and has been even closer to the news stories that we care very much about. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Nachum. Good to be with you. Tell me about Israel. How are things in the Holy Land? Well, <clears throat> the weather is beautiful, sunny, warm, uh, really glorious. The politics here are warm, not so sunny. <laughs> and the, <laughs> and uh, But the prospects, I think are, in fact, for a great forecast. That is what always makes you unique. I can tell you that much. Thank God you think the prospects are for a positive forecast. The Conference of Presidents, and we'll recall and just remind our listeners that you were in Italy uh, last Friday and obviously last Shabbos with the group. Now uh, you're in Jerusalem in Israel. Uh, you've had an opportunity, I would assume, to hear from uh, different uh, public officials in Israel members of government. Can you give us a couple of highlights in the conference trip in Israel itself? We were in Spain, Italy. We were I, a few years ago. Sorry about that. I meant Spain. Sorry about that. <laughs> but they all like it. And, uh, That's a joke, folks. And now everybody who's going to be applying for uh, citizenship <laughs> is going to find out exactly where Spain is. That's true. And, the, uh, and how you get there. <laughs> so... Um, the people we met with this week, it, it'll sound unbelievable, but we met with the Prime Minister, the President, Foreign Minister, the Defense Minister, the Minister of Justice, the Minister of Economics, Jerusalem, and all sorts of other things that then it is. And then, I'm sorry, I have a cold, so... Yeah, normally, uh, normally we wouldn't point it out, but it's becoming very obvious. Let's just let our listeners know to pay careful attention uh, a yeah, little more... I, I, I will, I'll keep watering it down. There you go. And try to keep uh, up with it. Uh, we met with uh, General Gantz, the, chair, the head of the chief of staff of the IDF, the head of the command in the north, who talked about Syria and Lebanon, wow. and... Um, the Director General of the Ministry of Defense gave us three brilliant briefings, and we looked into the issue of the illegal immigrants, which is a very complex and difficult issue. We visited Malabi, which is a new Palestinian city that will ultimately have more, I think they said, than 100,000 residents, and it's a state-of-the-art modern being built by private funds, uh, led by uh, this one uh, Mr. Masseri, who... You know, very honest and very straightforward about the problems he encounters and what he has to do. Then uh, we went to the foreign ministry where we met with the foreign minister, deputy foreign minister, and had briefings on various subjects. We had a dinner in the Knesset where we had a panel of the Knesset members and Duda Fischer sang. It was very moving uh, and a reception there. Uh, so we had a very full week that even included um, yesterday a panel that a man named Yossi Bardi, who's sort of the progenitor of Stone Nations, had put together as he does every year. But this year he had Haredi women and men who are doing leading high-tech companies. He had uh, Arabs, he had others, uh, young and old, telling their absolutely remarkable stories that are never 
but never get to see the light of day when people talk about Israel. Uh, pretty amazing, and what an incredible lineup. Malcolm, on the illegal immigrant issue, who are the leaders on the two sides of the issue? Are there, are there any uh, particular people in Israel who are, I don't know, either getting all the publicity or leading the effort on one side or the other? Anybody who's become very outspoken and really has been looked to in terms of leadership politically on this issue? That's a good question. There are some lawyers and others who have been an activists um, on both sides. And uh, I can't say that there's a single individual I can point to. We had a panel of the people discussing what are the demands, what are the difficulties, and how you go about addressing it. And Boonie, it's very complicated uh, to try and find a solution. Right. And, but, no, and no member of Knesset themselves has really become, uh, I don't know, the, the poster child for the cause. Or am I wrong? Has some... Not one. Right. But many members of Knesset have been involved in, in advocacy for it. So, you know, it becomes a moral issue. It's, it's got all sorts of implications, but it's also a security issue. It's a question of the future of the state. How can you absorb right. the state to, you know, thousands of people? Yeah, talk about an issue that goes across every type of analysis, from political to, uh, uh, to even to halachic. And, and, of course, the future, as you mentioned, it's really such a sensitive issue. And you mentioned Syria and the briefing that was given in terms of up north. And uh, I'm sure there was concern, obviously, as there always is when you get a briefing about Syria in terms of the border with Syria. But what about specifically about what's happening in Syria right now? Was was that considered a danger to the state of Israel about what's happening internally in Syria? Many people actually spoke about it, and from different aspects, because we had different panels of, of experts, government, non-governmental, uh, who addressed the different issues. And uh, I think most of them do not see a positive outcome right now. They don't see the talks leading anywhere. They think Assad remains by and large, uh, but the situation itself in the country will continue to deteriorate, and you have all of the different uh, elements, like the Kurds and the Alawites, uh, seeking perhaps to, to create their own entities within Syria. So no one gave a very optimistic view about what the future could be. Maybe it's not to say just stop the killing and leave everything as it is, but uh, we saw that the number of people killed is, is continuing to escalate very rapidly. Yeah, and the United Nations, uh, I mean, what is their role right now? I know they're looking for a, a Security Council resolution on Syrian aid. I assume that would aid the rebels. Am I right about that? Right, right. And, and, well, I, I don't know that the U.N. really plays positive role anywhere, and they're looking to do something. They could have done it all along, and been uh, on top of the situation, and now it's coming after, what, 150,000, 160,000, 170,000 dead, and, you know, the security situation is deteriorating along Israel's borders and internally, along Jordan's border. We see attempts to to, um, bring terrorist groups, you know, into those areas. Obviously, Israel is very alert to it, and so are the others. but we don't see too many attempts to, to infiltrate, except for people who want to escape and want to go to Israel for medical treatment or for their own selves. Right, that's about it. Um, and you mentioned also, in terms of the briefings and different people you met during the conference visit, so you mentioned uh, high-tech, startup nation, etc. So uh, we, we see yet another... I, I, am I right that the Viber company was, in fact, sold and that that is an Israeli company? Is that... Yes. It was. And so, so we see yet another... 
uh, major purchase in the high-tech world out of Israel. And any suspicion, any reason sitting there and listening to a briefing like that, any reason to think that this is going to slow down at all? Is Israel just going, you know, full forged ahead when it comes to high-tech? Even more, more startups every year. They have these incubators where people can go with limited amounts of money and, have, and their ideas and can start developing them. I think that it will certainly escalate and continue. Um, the, the range of things that we saw from different people and the kind of creativity that's going on and the education of young people in creative new ways is, is truly remarkable. I hope we can import some of them here. The, uh, so Israel, I think, is going to continue to be uh, the, the main, up in the front line of those creating new companies and hopefully having them bought the, the, the work remain in Israel so people are employed. Right. Uh, it's, it's a big issue, you know, when everybody else wants your company and they buy it and then they take the headquarters and everything and move it to wherever they are. Right. It really is remarkable, the entire, I mean, the world is being changed from the state of, I mean, I know that other countries participate in this, but the role that Israel has in the changing world is just remarkable. Simple we, as that. We saw a device, we saw a device where you put on, uh, clip something to your glasses and you point your finger at, let's say, a page in a newspaper. This is for people who are near blind and it reads you everything but your finger pointed at. Oh my God! Pointed at a bus. You stand at a bus stop and you point at the bus. It tells you which bus is coming. It is a mind-boggling device. Unbelievable! And I'm One sure of thousands of these things. That and, and I'm sure if people are listening to this conversation on you know on recording ten years from now. They'll say, "Why were they so amazed by that?" You know, yeah, <laughs> people will be gone. Exactly. You know, the story in Israel of an American immigrant, an American visitor. Was sitting in the street court next to an Israeli, and the light started beeping. He said, "Well, what is that?" He said, "Well, that's to alert blind people. The light is changing." He said, "Gee, in America, we don't even let them drive." <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Malcolm Holdline is live in Israel. So yesterday, I'm listening to the news, and finally, someone describes for me exactly what I need. And I need these one or two sentence synopses of political situations and upheaval, because uh, that's the way it is these days. You know, you need it broken down into simple terms. And they took the situation in the Ukraine and essentially said it's the East versus the West of the Ukraine. The East wants to continue relations with Russia and have close ties to Russia. The Western part of the Ukraine, uh, what we would call, I guess, the opposition at this point, because it's opposed to the president of the Ukraine, uh, they want to see much stronger relations and maybe exclusive relations only with countries in the West. Now, we're seeing incredible violence and a lot of stuff going on and a tough negotiation to see if a ceasefire can be reached. Is all of it for the reason I just mentioned? I think it's East-West, but it's not just East Ukraine versus West Ukraine. I think it's U.S. versus Russia and the West versus Russia. Uh, and Russia's attempts to, to extend it to Germany back over countries like Ukraine. I think it's um, uh, economically uh, an internal issue, a conflict between that and have not and want to have. I think you, you, you have a lot of layers here, like in many of the other conflicts today. Obviously, the economic issue is the one out front, but it's not the totality of what's driving people and, and, and letting people be killed by 100, 150, 200 a day. It's, uh, it's the, and the toll keeps mounting. Uh, so this could this could drive to divide the country. It could lead to other kinds of long-term consequences. 
Uh, what's the resolution? I mean, uh, I know that there is an effort right now to see if a ceasefire can be uh, can be uh, agreed to, um, but uh, you don't you don't always I, you don't always see demonstrators and protesters as strong as it seems these are in the Ukraine. Am I right that there seems to be I don't know I don't know if there's an economic support for them or some type of military support. It seems that they're just uh, uh, it, it, they're putting up a really good fight. Well, the West is supporting them, obviously, and you have different countries providing aid, different groups providing aid, um, and people, it's not pump prepared. I don't think this is a battle quite like Syria, but it is growing and, and very extensive, and if people really study it and you see what, what, uh, what is happening, you know that Russia is involved, we know that America and Europe are involved, and maybe everybody better pull out and let the parties resolve it mm. before we end up with a conflagration in the heart of Europe. I mean, it's it's the way you're describing it. It's essentially uh, the t- the type of battle that we got used to during the superpower era, right? I mean, it seems like yes, I think that's true. Mer- I think it's a, it's a different formulation. I think the weapons are more sophisticated. I think people are uh, are driven more. In terms, of it's not ideological as much as it is their perception of the future and of what they want the country to be. And after going through the era of all the revolutions, so this takes on, you know, it builds on what they did, and they don't want to lose it now. Right, boy, oh boy, America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Uh, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Next week, it's our fundraising marathon. Everyone's encouraged to go to our website at jmnam.org and support JM and the AM for yet another year. And if Malcolm is in the United States next week, we're going to try to encourage him to be here next Friday live and in person to participate with us and uh, give us his impressions on what's going on in this crazy world and why it's so important to support great Jewish radio. By the way, I want to mention you're in Israel and we, you know, it just as sad as the news is. There's so much beauty uh, when you think of the life of Rabbi Mayor Schuster. Uh, we know he passed away this week. For those who don't know, he literally was at the Kotel Amaravi since 1968, encouraging people who we met from all around the world just to explore their tradition, their heritage, and invite them over. Uh, to say that he was one of the giants in the world of Kirov of outreach is an understatement, and I'm sure when you heard of his passing, you started thinking of the thousands of lives that he touched over the years. And anybody who came Friday night to the Kotel uh, certainly noticed him, noticed how sometimes you draggled or lost young people who were found and were given a place to eat and, and uh, the attention that I think they, they very much needed. Right. So his, his presence is, was great. I think he passed away a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. And the um, what's uh, what we always say is that we we like to. I, I know this is obviously not good news, but we always like to remember, as you did when you said that the future looks bright. We always like to remember that there is some positive, a lot of positive, going on in Israel. You described the high tech, and obviously in this case, we we're talking about the spirituality and the incredible role that Israel plays in bringing people back. Uh, to their traditions. I like to emphasize that, especially this time of year, as we remind everybody why it's uh, so important to focus on Israel each and every week during these segments. And um, uh, everybody out there should just uh, remember him fondly and uh, and continue to think about the incredible work that is being done by people to uh, utilize uh, Israel and the holy city of Jerusalem to bring our people back to their heritage. It really is in uh, 
an incredible effort. Um, th- by the way, did your tri- speaking of positive news, did your trip get a chance to do what you always do, see some of the archaeological digs and the findings that connect us to the history of our people in Israel? We did not uh, do a visit to this year. We have in the past to the new findings. In fact, they found a new city that was three and a half, four and a half thousand years, three and a half thousand years old, from the Zman of the Second Base of Mikdash, Second Temple. Um, there are amazing new discoveries everywhere in Israel. We read about them in the paper, and it takes you know a long time until they're matured and enough to be reported. So this is an ongoing process. I just wanted to say something about what you said before. The, you know what people say, the things in Israel are depressing. If they look at any newspaper, Nigeria, 1,500 buildings burn, scores and scores killed. You, you see a bombing in Pakistan, uh, 22 killed by a mortar in Iraq. Ukraine, 75 yesterday. Pakistan, a bomb kills 20. I mean, we see all the time all of these stories, let alone Ukraine and, and what's going on in Syria. And you re- realize that Israel is a corner of stability in the world today. And it's something that more and more countries, as we visit them, understand when we, when we raise this point. And I think the American people appreciated. I saw a poll that showed 72% favorable rating for Israel. That's up. That's up from 66. And, I mean, it's way ahead of almost everybody. And it's, it's an incredible statement about the American people being able to see through a lot of distortions and misrepresentations and why your show and what we do day-to-day to, to make sure the message gets out is so important. And, and all of these problems, they're not going to go away. These are not short-term problems. When we met last week in Spain with the king and the president and all the other people, I mean, you hear it from the European perspective, and we talk about the thousands who are now inside Syria with European and American passports. Now, everybody's beginning to face up to it. If you remember, we've been talking about it for, I don't know, a year, two years, yeah. warning that this is going to be a critical issue. All of a sudden, everybody's saying, oh, wait, wait, hey, we got a real problem developing here. And you could see big changes. We might see a big change in, in, in Kiev after the Olympics and that Russia will, will, will crack down. We may see a big spring offensive in Damascus. I mean, there are a lot of things that are in the offing that could take place in terms of, I mean, it will. But, you know, the world is in a state of flux, and there's so many issues. I mean, every area you touch, whether it's South America, whether it's Africa, whether it's our own country, with some of the problems that we confront, thank God we are also a source of, of uh, stability. Yeah. It's why Israel and the United States have to be so close. It's funny you mention this, because yesterday I was discussing with one of my kids this, uh, you know, the, these reports that are coming out of North Korea, the torture chambers in North Korea, and the way that you know, right. the way that certain people who the government doesn't agree with are treated. And, you know, we were just talking about, you know, these, and, and then we got to the subject of the United States, and, you know, but there's so many problems in the United States. I said, you know what? We have to sometimes remember that we live in a great country. A lot of us want to see it be an even better country. But, you know, when you discuss what's going on in the rest of the world, and you, by the way, you could give us an entire hour on, on torture, not only in North Korea, but in Iran and a whole bunch of other places as well. 
Uh, did, you, did you threaten your Did you threaten your son that you're going to put him in if he doesn't? Make, I don't know. You're just talking theoretical. Yeah, we didn't discuss any implementations. We, we just, okay, that, that special room at the back of your apartment. No, we were just talking in theory. But he's kidding, folks. Don't worry. But it, it, but it, look, you, you, like you keep saying, people are going through life. They don't know what the next day is going to bring. Uh, there were there were reports in the Ukraine yesterday where they were interviewing people who happened to be uh, who spoke English and happened to be there on the front lines of them. They didn't know if they'd live for the next ten minutes with the way this crackdown was going. So we have to be very you thankful. Know, one of the issues that we've been talking about, uh, in line with what you just said about the naivete and the way that people approach problems, we see that Iran and Britain renewed diplomatic relations. Right. But Iran has done nothing to earn it. If anything, they've done everything to be punished more. And, you know, the IEA said, well, Iran is complying um, more than before. Well, of course, it's more than before, because when you go from zero, anything you do. But the fact is that they haven't really enlisted in, in full the, what they were supposed to do. And, you know, the, the, they say that they're not going to dismantle anything again this week, and that even the Iraq nuclear reactor is going to remain, and they're not going to... Um, step down from any of the programs that they have, uh, have built. And, and you saw Rouhani then likened, um, he said that the Jews want to universalize the conflict. And the, the, uh, some of the inferences of his comments <coughs> about Israel and Jews is very disturbing. And I we have to remember the true nature of what this Iranian regime is and that you know, with their allies, with others, when we see Syria, you know, the international community can hardly do anything about Syria. It's why Israel has to be strong, defend itself by itself, as every minister said this time. And they, they praised the U.S.-Israel security and defense cooperation. They, they said that, it's, uh, that uh, in so many areas there was remarkable co- cooperation going on. Uh, but the bottom line is that Israel has to defend itself. Let me circle back for a second because we we spoke about the positive and the way Israel is portrayed. Thank God, and uh, in terms of stability, um, I, I just I don't know if you have a good answer to this question. We know what the freedom of speech is all about, and it's something we value and treasure. So I don't even know if there is a good answer. I just feel like I have to pose it to you, maybe out of frustration. Uh, it's become a big issue recently. Um, leaders in the Jewish community who are who are out there criticizing Israel, and and I mean uh, criticizing Israel in general terms, and you know not just specific episodes or incidents. And I'm sure you've read about it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I also read yesterday of a report where a prominent Jewish institution in New York City is going to be having BDS speakers come and present at their location. Any reaction to all this? Well, I don't know if they're going to have more than one. I do know that they have one has been associated with BDS, according to these reports. Uh, I do think that there is a matter of real concern. We've seen other Hillels now declaring themselves open Hillels, which means that they invite in people to be anti-Israel. I think that that this matter is of great concern. This is not a trivial matter about how we educate, what limits we place, how we give expression to our concerns, People do not feel any responsibility. They want to get a headline. They want to get some, you know, thrill by being able to say, you know, they mock Israel. They may have some perverse uh, reaction to Israel. 
I, I see it in some newspapers and editorials. I see it around the country. I see it in uh, some of the statements. I see it in some of the incredible references. And, and it can go on both sides. I mean, some of the attacks on Kerry or other people, you know, people have to think about what their words mean and what, what they're doing and how this, what damage this does long term. And when the American people who understand it, and I just quoted you in the poll, right. but when they see Jews then coming and saying these things, they say, wait, maybe we're wrong. Yep. They're not. That's what, that's what this leads to. And, and you have to remember that this is a major underpinning of Israel's security. We have incredible allies on our side. Let's try to maintain them. You mentioned Kerry a moment ago, and I'm sure in terms of the briefings that you got this week, there are many listeners right now wondering uh, what was said to you regarding the peace process. Kerry did say now that he's disappointed in the Palestinians. Uh, maybe that's you know moving things to drop to the other side because we keep thinking that there's so much pressure being placed on Israel. Maybe it's good that there's uh, somewhat of a negative comment uh, being directed at the PA right now. What is the latest in terms of what Israeli officials tell you about the Kerry-led peace negotiations? Well, they are ongoing. There are talks happening. The prospects, I would not say are extremely bright, but not certainly not zero. Um, you know, the secretary has been here umpteen times, and he has a team on the ground. He has people coming all the time. General Allen is there with a big uh, crew looking at the defense issues. But bottom line is it's got to be the parties that negotiate a deal. The United States can recommend. They can help work out the details. They can be a very positive player. But if the countries involved, the people involved, are not committed to the process, and then just use the U.S. negotiators as cover, and then can say that we don't, well, it wasn't us who said it was them. That's what we've seen in the past, and we've got to learn the lessons from this stuff in the past. Look, if, if there could be peace, and what I saw in Rawabi yesterday of, of 100,000 Palestinians who living in this modern state-of-the-art right. city and creative people building, I mean, that's what we'll kind them up once they have a big stake. You know, they're not going to want to see that place blown up. No question about and, that. And we have to look at the, the qualified zones and other solutions that will help. And by the way, it applies to the Haredi community, it applies to the Arab sector in Israel, that there has to be more aggressive things to integrate them in the workforce to enable them to do it without violating their basic lifestyle and precepts. All right, understood. Uh, by the way, the, the, you mentioned that there was a briefing with the president as well. Has the prime minister decided yet? If he's reached a conclusion about when Shimon Peres should leave office, now it seems Bibi wants him to stay on for a little longer as president. He did, but Peres rejected it. And, uh, I mean, he's to stay on for a year. I don't know what that does. Uh, so I think he's already reconciled to, to stepping down. And we'll move on. There are many candidates already for the job. Uh, I don't know if there is a single candidate. I don't think there's any favorite right now. But there are many candidates, and I have a feeling there will be more. They have to get 10 members of Knesset to endorse right. their candidacy. It can't be you know, repetitive. You can't have the same 10, right. as would be the case in Israel. That each of them would endorse 10 different people. <laughs> Why would you suspect that? Come on. <laughs> uh, by the way, and, and this may be totally out of your area, so excuse me if it is, but do you hear anything in Israel about Hadassah Hospital? Are they going to survive? all the economic yeah. problems that they have? They reach an agreement with the workers. It's certainly not over the problem, but they're working hard at it. The government is helping. I mean, it's too important an institution right. to not fail. That's what I would think. 
Um, the Jewish Agency and Israel's Ministry of uh, Immigrant Absorption issued a revised figure for Aliyah from North America. According to a statement Wednesday, there was a discrepancy in the number of North American immigrants projected back in the end of 2013, which showed an 11% decline in Aliyah from North America. And the actual figure, which showed that Aliyah levels remained at basically the same level for both 2012 and 2013. So for 2013, over 3,500 Olim, uh, basically the same total, uh, essentially, as Olim from North America in 2012. So uh, anybody who was concerned when they saw those figures go down, thank God there was a correction issued, Malcolm. You know that Foreign Minister Lieberman, speaking to the conference, called for 350,000 Olim over the next 10 years. And which is much more than yeah. anything anybody said. But he also called for the government to give $365 million a year uh, to Jewish education, a million dollars a day in the diaspora, saying that this is a responsibility Israel has as well with a $100 billion budget. They can afford it. And made a lot of headlines with it. A lot of people were very skeptical and said that these are irrational numbers, you know, the Aliyah. But when you look at the situation in Europe, and you realize that this is the first time, probably in a long time, that uh, Jews are actually free to leave the countries where they live everywhere. So it's not impossible to think about it. When you realize how many jobs there are here, how booming the economy is, how exciting it is, uh, and you don't shovel snow, I think that uh, a lot of people should be rethinking it. Yeah, I can tell you from personal experience, it does snow. They just don't shovel it, as you said. <laughs> but, it, but it does snow. They look, at it and it, they look at it and it melts. <laughs> yeah, I wish a little faster. Uh, I better be careful because my snow season started really early, and I hope it's over by now. Um, no question what you're saying is unbelievable. In fact, this morning I saw there was a report that Israel expects, I, I think they said, yeah, here it is, traffic congestion in Israel will double in the next 20 years. And you, you know what it's like to get around to begin with in 2014. It's not that easy. But if you, if what you just said and what you just reiterated from Lieberman comes true, then the traffic congestion will get even worse. But I guess, what can we say? Historically, we would say this is a problem that uh, we're glad we have, right? And, and they'll build new roads, and they have the high-speed railroad, which is now becoming very effective and more accepted than people were skeptical, it's working. So there are a lot of solutions that, you know, people can commute from Yerushalayim to, to Tel Aviv or to, the, to Beersheba or to, to other areas to go to work. You know, in Beersheba, they're building new nanotechnology and other kind of centers for studying research, and uh, people will be able to live there or live elsewhere but have easy access to Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. I mean, there are a lot of things happening here that are, are, are building for the future, looking ahead for the future, that could be very exciting. Oh, no question about it. Um, all right. Um, finally, especially because we're not going to have really in-depth conversations over the next couple of weeks, um, we always we talk about Iran. I saw Khamenei this week said that negotiations will lead to nothing. So obviously, he's telling his people something a lot different than what he says than what he says to the rest of the world. The U.S. I'm sure you agree. Uh, you only wish would. Uh, uh, you know, pay more attention to what he's saying to his own people. Uh, we've seen this many times before. Um, and then and we spoke about the Ukraine, and we spoke about Syria, and, we're spe- and you, you mentioned Russia's role in a comparison to superpower battle, etc. If, in fact, this road continues uh, to uh, nuclear capability uh, in Iran, uh, will we see countries like Russia 
start to and Europe and and countries in Europe start to behave a little bit more uh, with fear like the US a little bit does and Israel of course will we see will this will 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 the progress that they make in Iran change the Russian and European attitude toward Iran I don't think it's really going to be progress but to, to answer your question it's not in the nature of Putin's belief he, he gets what he wants in his way He's not interested in compromising. He he puts forward his agenda, and so far he's been able to get it. So it's only when they encounter real resistance. You remember Cuba, you remember other things when the United States put its ships around Syria, then all of a sudden uh, Russia joined in trying to negotiate the, 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 the uh, removal of all of the chemical weapons. So uh, uh, Russia is, is always uh, pursuing its own interests, he doesn't have the resources that some people think, but he can. He has the resources to make a lot of trouble, and he's supplying weapons to to a lot of the bad guys in the region and elsewhere. And that that requires a strong America to counter. There's only two ways. There's only actually one way to to create a balance, and that is the United States to be stronger and to be uh, in the front and get the Europeans uh, mobilized. We see how how they're collapsing under the sanctions regime. Um, it's, it's still intact, but we see that uh, so many ways are being proposed to get around it. An oil for uh, get, uh, an oil for gold deal with uh, with uh, Russia, or other countries uh, that are, are talking about uh, um, establishing other ways to to get around it. The Russia is talking about building another reactor in, in Iran, mm. and, uh, getting oil and other things that they can trade for it. So they get around the sanctions, they violate it. They, they get the benefit, and they're still causing trouble in the region. All we got to do is show some strength, and uh, we hesitate to do so at the moment. Well, I hope that that won't be necessary. Yeah. Uh, strength is applies to diplomacy. It applies to how you conduct yourself. It doesn't just comply to apply to military action. Right, but it's uh, across the board. Uh, I hope you don't have to address the group tonight. I hope you'll have a chance to rest up, Malcolm, and enjoy the rest of your stay in the Holy Land. Well, I'm speaking tomorrow night at the Great Synagogue. Uh-oh. But he was flying over, <laughs> uh, or he's just over. You can come tomorrow night at 8 o'clock to the Great Synagogue. And uh, I hope Monday night or so I'll come back. All right, a regimen of chicken soup between now and then, please. <laughs> and we hope to see you next week. Enjoy Shabbat in Yerushalayim. Malcolm Holdline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update is Fridays in our 7 o'clock hour. And uh, hopefully Malcolm will join us next week live in the studio. If not, then certainly he'll join us at some point during our fundraiser.